this morning, I'm so uh, thrilled uh, to, to introduce one of our staff to you. Uh, we have an incredible staff. I don't know how many churches you've been a part of, but I am so blessed by the team of people I get to work with. And uh, today, I've asked Joel Sims, who is our family pastor, uh, to come and share from James chapter 2. But I just want to say a couple, a couple words about Joel before he comes. So we won't do this every time you speak, but we'll, we'll you, you do this You can if time. you want, though. You can? I can't anymore? Okay. Well, video this and we'll just play it again, all right? Because I don't know if I could muster it up twice. This is what happens when two preachers have a microphone. Um, I've had the joy of spending weeks with Joel Sims at kids camp. Mm. And I've, yes, I've seen him in the cabin. You can shut his off. I, and that's what happens when one of the pastors is the leader. I've, uh, I've shared the cabin with him and a bunch of kids at kids camp. I've watched him love on kids and be there for them, and be a presence for them, and kids, some of who don't have a dad at home, I've watched the way that he loves his wife and his family, and is an extension of that to our kids in our church, our middle schoolers. I, I watch his investment in, in ministries at our church. Tomorrow morning at 4 a.m., we'll ride together to Beach Freak, do our summer camp, uh, and, and he'll be there serving his heart out all week. And uh, I've just... Joel Sims is one of the most sincere and passionate and authentic uh, men of God that I know. And I'm so privileged to serve with him here at our church. And you are in for a treat as he comes today and shares with you. Would you give him a great big welcome as he comes? I had some jokes, but that, that last part was so serious, I kind of teared up a little bit, so no jokes. Uh, we've got a... <laughs> I feel like I always start off like this, just kind of just laughing and with y'all. Uh-huh. Hey, uh, uh, before we go any further, uh, Jay just talked about soak with a K. Uh, up next, we have soap with a P. Uh, we do uh, on... We've been doing each week for our James series. We've had somebody come up and do their reading from that week. Dakota, uh, why don't you come on up? While he's coming up, I'll tell you, you can go online uh, during our James series for the summer. Come on up here. You can, you can see all of the songs that we sing uh, on Sunday mornings for worship. You can also look at our scripture readings uh, that we've done each week. The passage this morning is on James chapter 2. And uh, if you followed along, you may have done uh, a soap also. And if you're unfamiliar with soap, we won't get into it uh, a ton this morning, but you can go online and there's also an explanation of what that acrostic is, uh, scripture, observation, application, and then prayer. And so Dakota's going to come. He's done his soap from this week, and he's just going to share with you guys kind of what uh, he's read and what uh, God's put on his heart for this morning. Hey, good morning. Um, I did mine on James chapter 2, verses 12 through 13, and it says, Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Observation. I've never begun to dig into the vastness that is God's mercy. 
This scripture comes alive when you look at the intended meaning James was portraying. Mercy is defined in the Greek lexicon as covenant loyalty. When you look at Abraham and the covenant that God had made with him, he didn't always measure up. But God had made a covenant with him, and he was loyal to his word. But what is the covenant that God has made with us? His name is Jesus. The Lord our God is loyal to his son, covenant, and will never forsake him. When we believe in Jesus as Lord and follow him, forsaking our sin and putting on his righteousness, we inherit the loyalty of God the Father towards his son. Application. When I begin to feel the accusations of the enemy or sense the pressures of legalism begin to try and lie to me, God is telling me to remind myself that he is loyal to the covenant that he made with me. And that covenant is Jesus Christ the righteous. His grace is what empowers me to be full of mercy, loyalty to his covenant, Jesus. I get to speak and act as though I'm going to be judged by the law that gives freedom instead of condemnation and guilt that comes from trying to obey the law of death. The greatest thing of all, he has given me his grace to be loyal to his covenant, Jesus. Prayer. Father, I pray that you empower me to be loyal to your covenant that brings life, Jesus. I ask that you open my mouth wide to glorify your son, Jesus, and never back down from the life you have called me to. Let your covenant be evident in all that I do. Let mercy be like a fountain that shoots forth onto those who are dried up in legalism. Let them see your great covenant that you have made with them, Jesus. Empower them with your grace and set them free. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. 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 I encourage you to do soap. Soap is one of those things that uh, I've done and then stopped for a while and then gone back and started doing again during devotions and then stopped for a while and come back. And there's a lot of different methods to do personal devotions. Soap is an incredible tool to be able to do that. It's something that you can do. uh, It's very simple and you can do it consistently. And and, uh, the connection in those moments obviously gets deeper as you you continue to do that. Turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. Uh, the passage this morning is a little lengthy. We'll read it together, and um, uh, if you guys will stay with me, there's 13 verses. I, I love the book of James. James has been, I mean, if you can have a favorite book of the Bible, uh, I think uh, James has definitely been one of my favorites. He, speak, he seems to speak pretty plainly uh, and uh, sternly. <laughs> if, you've, if you've read any at all, he's pretty, he's pretty black and white. Uh, he doesn't he, he doesn't get uh, a ton of, he doesn't talk a ton in the New Testament. The other passage in Scripture uh, where James is mentioned, where we kind of get a picture of who James is, the brother of Jesus, is in Acts chapter 15. And there's a big argument going on in Acts chapter 15 there at the Jerusalem Council. And the, uh, some of the apostles and some of the followers of Christ are there, and they're all going back and forth, and they're deciding how difficult are they going to make it for Gentiles to enter into uh, the faith. What all are they going to have to do? Specifically, they were talking about circumcision. And so several people were talking. The apostle Paul started speaking, and he said, I think we should do this and this and this. And then Simon Peter started talking, and he said, I think we should do this and this and this. Some of the Pharisees who had come to faith said, I think we should do this and this. And then it, it, it ultimately builds up, and James kind of has the final vote. And he says, it's my judgment that we do not make it difficult for the Gentiles to enter the faith. And so James doesn't seem to speak very much, but when he does, what he says matters. It carries a lot of weight. I get the picture in my mind. Of course, I have uh, three small children, and uh, uh, my son is a, is a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle fan. The Ninja Turtles have been around for a long time. Uh, I was a Ninja Turtle fan too, uh, Leonardo, Donatello, Michelangelo, 
and the cool one. That's right, Raphael. That's right, the red one. So, uh, uh, James, when I, th- when I think of James, I think of Splinter, all right, their fearless leader. And he doesn't talk much, but when he does, he leads the way, all right? And so James comes across to me in, in, in cartoon form as Splinter. That's the picture in my mind. So when, when we read through in just a few minutes, think about James. He doesn't talk much, but when he does, it's serious. It's legit, all right? So James chapter 2, hang with me. We're going to read this whole passage, all right? Here we go. My brothers, let's find out what we have up here. I don't want to read a different translation. Okay, good. My brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith? If you have your Bibles and you have a pen, underline that phrase, rich in faith. And to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him. But you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are slandering the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the loyal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery, but you commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Speak and act. That's, a, that's, a, that's, the, that's the theme of James. Speak and act. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. But mercy triumphs over judgment. Favoritism or partiality. Maybe your uh, translation says partiality. Uh, what is it? The word there literally means in Greek receiving the face. Receiving the face, so the, on, on the surface, the external, the, the uh, judging a book by its cover, receiving the face, partiality, unfair bias in favor of someone or something based upon external criteria rather than biblical criteria. An unfair bias in favor of someone or something based upon external criteria rather than biblical criteria. I read this passage uh, the first time, and I looked through and I thought, I'm, I'm preaching on favoritism. <laughs> there are easier passages. <laughs> Let me just be honest with you. And I looked and I thought, is this, this is so obvious. Does this really happen? Like, has really somebody come in and they weren't wearing the right clothes, and then, and then somebody walked up to them and said, hey, why don't you, why don't you move over here, or why don't you move over here? Has, has, has that really happened where people have been judged based on external criteria? And then it hit me. <laughs> you bet they have. I think if you take two seconds and ask someone, a friend of yours maybe that's been out of church for a while, maybe that's left church, maybe that's left the faith, and you say, um, what happened? Tell me what happened. I, I wonder if, the, if a lot of them, if not even the majority of them, would begin to tell you a story of how somebody maybe judged them based upon something, or the way they looked, maybe the way they dressed, 
maybe the color of their skin, maybe, some of the, maybe they thought a little bit differently about something else, and all of a sudden, they're away from the faith. I, I, wonder, I, I wonder if you took, if we took just a few minutes and talked to somebody, if, I wonder how many people would have that story. Does this happen? Yes, it happens all the time. It's amazing the connection, how similar the uh, first century Jewish synagogue, this is who James is talking to, those who are um, the, the Jews that have become Christians who are now spread out all over, how similar this first century is to the 21st century church. How similar they are. And there's, and there's a message here for you and for me. Does this really happen? When Lindsay and I lived in Florida, when uh, I was going to school, we were going to school and there was a church nearby and uh, it was a really large church. It, it was kind of well known and they actually had in the church, they had something called the Wall of Fame. The church had the Wall of Fame and it was a, it was a, a hall filled with pictures uh, uh, of famous people that have all at- attended the church and then they signed their autograph on there and there's a picture of them shaking the hand with the, with the pastor. It was just a wall, it was just a wall of famous people and they're proud of it. Hey, look at all the famous people that have come. Not that they were a, a part of the faith, just that they were, look at all the famous people that came to our church. And James is saying here, specifically, directly, partiality or favoritism is actually the anti-gospel. It's the opposite of the gospel. And when we partake of partiality or favoritism, we become judges with evil thoughts. It accepts God's love for me, but resists giving it to the other. It's short-sighted, seeing only my good qualities and neglecting to see the image of God in others. It is the anti-gospel. What is partiality? Judging based on external criteria rather than biblical criteria. That's the what. Now here comes the why. Why is it, why is it wrong? Why is, why, is favorite, why is showing favoritism wrong? Now you guys know answering why is always more difficult than answering what, right? So your children come to you and they, and they ask you about something and you tell them no and they say why and your response is because I, because I said so. Why? Because it's hard to think through all the, I mean, you, then, it, you, then it requires you to think, and we do enough thinking as parents, all right? That's, it takes enough work, you know? And so, uh, you know, my son comes in, and he's got muddy shoes on, and he's about to come into the house. I say, hey, bud, take your shoes off before you come in. He says, why? And I said, because I said so. He goes, but, but why? And I go, well, because if you don't take your muddy shoes off, you're going to track mud into the house. When you track mud into the house, mom's going to get upset. She's going to come over and get, she's going to get some cleaning materials. And she's going to get down and she's going to start scrubbing the mud out of the carpet. And then I'm going to be sitting on the couch and I can't sit on the couch while she's scrubbing mud on the carpet. I've got to get up and start cleaning something. And when I start cleaning something and she's cleaning something, nobody's cooking dinner. And when nobody's cooking dinner, I get hungry. And your mom gets hungry and you guys get hungry. And we all get hangry. All right? <laughs> And then everybody's mad, the house, the, the, the environment is ruined, and we're all upset. Do you understand? No. <laughs> Do what I say. Because I told you so. The why is always more challenging, but we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to tell you why partiality is such a big deal in the church. Uh, I have three really... Uh, simple points. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to do that uh, so that you can come back to them. They don't all start off with the same word or the same letter, so <laughs> they're not as easy to memorize. 
I, I, I thought through it. I couldn't come up with it. So you're stuck with three sentences that have uh, very, uh, they don't resemble each other at all. So uh, write down some notes, put them in your phone or whatever. You can come back to them. Why does James com- condemn favoritism? First reason is this. Because Jesus didn't relate to people like this. Jesus didn't relate to people like this. He, never, he, he didn't look at externals and make judgments based on those. You guys remember the widow, uh, the widow's mite? Remember the, the poor widow that came in? Jesus was at church. He was standing in the corner, and they were taking the offering. And we didn't take, they didn't take secret offerings like we do. You know, you pass the bag, and you can kind of, maybe I'm putting something in, maybe I'm not, you know. <laughs> they had the offering right in the center of the church, right in the middle. And so if you're going to give offering, you've got to walk all the way up there and put it in there. And so people... I, 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 some, some places still do that. In fact, I, I just thought about it. I saw a YouTube video one time of uh, this guy doing this awesome dance. He was so happy he was bringing the offering. And um, uh, that's all. That's all the story I have. That's all there is. So anyways, so <laughs> I just thought about it. So offering is in the middle. Jesus is there. He has the disciples in the corner. And he's looking. And you guys remember the story, right? Some super, uh, uh, the, the Pharisees come in or, or some wealthy people come in. And they walk in and they have bags of money. I would love to have bags of money, all right? And I would love to have bags of money to give to the church. And they come in and everyone is impressed with their fine clothes and their bags of money. And they walk in and they have these bags. And they come all the way down to the front and they put it in the offering. And everybody says, ooh. Yeah, bags of money. Jesus is over in the corner, unimpressed. Then a poor widow comes in. And uh, who has nothing, less than nothing, uh, much like the widows, all the widows during that day. She had two uh, mites, which were literally worth less than one penny, all that she had. Can you imagine only have one penny? I mean, I, could, I can look around. I can find a penny on the floor. Can you imagine being so poor you don't even have, you barely have one penny? And the widow comes in. She walks all the way to the front. She takes her two mites worth less than one penny. She drops them in the bucket, and, and nobody's saying ooh and ah to that. She turns around and walks out. Jesus gets his disciples, pulls them over, and he goes, did you guys see what just happened over there? And they go, yeah, that dude had so much money, he just dropped in. He goes, no. She just gave more than every single one of them. More. Two mites. One penny. One penny. And she gave more. Because she gave out of her need. All that she had. She gave all that she had. Jesus saw that. What about the Samaritan woman? The woman at the well. Jesus goes to the woman at the well. First off, in a town he shouldn't have been in. Standing at a place where he shouldn't have been in midday. Talking to a woman that never should have happened at that time. Jesus doesn't care. (laughs) He He don't care. He's standing there. He starts talking to the woman. The Samaritan woman tells her all that she's... Uh, everything about her. He tells her, everything I've ever done. Tells her, I'm the living water. She turns around, this woman with uh, a sinner. Turns around and goes into town. Who would have ever thought this woman would have been the salvation to a town because of Jesus? Somewhere he never should have been talking to somebody he never should have been talking to according to you know, cultural times then. Jesus doesn't view people like that. 
He's a friend of sinners, talking to people he shouldn't have been talking to, looking at people the way, maybe seeing what should have been there all along. I look at James and I look at his example of telling somebody to move because of what they're wearing. And I look and I go, man, that's real. That's, that's like, that's direct. That's so direct. And Jesus doesn't view people like that. He views people uh, in their potential, not in the externals. Simon Peter, we look at Simon Peter now, hindsight's twenty twenty. We look at Simon Peter now, we're like, man, that disciple, he was awesome. He was a loud mouth. He went around, you know, preaching the word. He was amazing. You guys remember before he was Peter, the rock on which Jesus is going to build his church, he was the scaredy cat that denied Jesus three times in front of a little teenage girl. Remember? He denied Jesus. I, ne- I don't know the man. I promise I don't know the man. Scripture says he even cursed, which I'm not going to do. <laughs> I don't even know the man. He screams it. I don't even know the guy. And then Jesus, and then the uh, rooster crows. And then somehow Jesus comes back. After he comes back from the dead, he talks to Peter. And he restores him because he saw the potential. That's why you're here. That's why I'm here. Not because of anything that we've done. But because of the potential that God sees in us through his grace. Why is favoritism wrong? Jesus never looked at externals. Not when he was looking at you. Not when he was looking at me. Not when he was looking at anybody. When he saw the potential. The second reason is this. Christian love is defined by how God loves us. If you're looking for a biblical definition of love, don't look up love in an English dictionary. Those are two different loves. Biblical definition of love in English love is not the same. It's easy to fall in love. It's a little bit more challenging to stay in love, right? Yeah, the way we understand it. The first glimpse we get of God's covenant love towards us is with Abraham. You guys remember Father Abraham? He had many sons. I'm one of them. So are you. Yes, Father Abraham. He was the first glimpse we get. God decides, he decides to make a covenant with Abraham to show his love. And the covenant, Genesis chapter 12, says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to bless you so that you're going to be a blessing to everybody else. And through my covenant with you, I'm going to bless everybody. And we get a glimpse of that. And God cuts, for whatever reason, the, the, the way covenant was shown in that day, they took animals and they cut them in half and then they would walk in between them in a line all the way through them, basically saying, if I break my covenant with you, you can do this to me. This is a commitment. It's a covenant. It's not going anywhere. Even if I don't feel like it anymore, I'm staying with it. If this doesn't happen, if I break it, you can do this to me. And God looked at Abraham and said, you know what? You, 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 you. You're not able to even walk through this. You can't keep it. I, only I can keep this covenant ultimately, so I'm going to walk through it. I'm going to walk through it backwards to show everybody that there's nothing greater that I can swear by other than myself. I'm going to make a covenant with myself. I will, I will be committed to you and have covenant with you and love you forever and ever and ever no matter what happens. And what, is the, what do the children of Israel do? The entire Old Testament shows how they... Walked with God and failed. Walked with God and failed. Walked with God and failed and failed and failed. And they couldn't keep it. And so finally Jesus goes, you can't keep it. You can't. There's nothing you can do. You can't keep covenant with me. So I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send my one and only son. And then when I send my son, 
then you will be able to keep, because he will be perfect. He'll be the perfect sacrifice. So God sends his one and only son. And then we see now him keeping covenant. And then even then, when we can't keep covenant, when we can't keep covenant love with God, what do we do? We point to Jesus' work on the cross and we go, but at least I'm covered. I'm covered. I'm covered. And when God sees you, he sees Jesus. I've heard that before. When God sees you, he sees Jesus. That's a neat thought. Let me want to know what's, what I like better. The way God views Jesus, the way God thinks of Jesus, that's how he thinks of you. That's God's covenant love. Let that sink in. The way God thinks about Jesus is how God thinks about you. There's no more tight-knit relationship than the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect relationship with each other, in perfect love. In the way the Father views his Son is how he views you and me. That's Christian love. No matter what I've done, no matter where I've been, no matter where I've gone, God's love covers our sins and covers us. Now, that's the, that's the greatest commandment, and the second one is like it, that we what? Love our neighbor as ourself. That's Christian love. So the way God has shown us love, we turn around and show others the same love, not based on externals, but based on biblical criteria. Number three, how you judge others is how you will also be judged. Verse eight, if you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Forever, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said do not commit adultery but also said do not murder, if you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you've become a lawbreaker. Why did, G, why, did, why did James bring up these two? Why did James bring up murder and adultery? Murder and adultery were capital offenses in the, in the Old Testament. They were capital offenses. If you, if you murdered or if you committed adultery, you committed a capital offense. And here in the same passage, James is saying, don't show favoritism. If you break one law, you've broken them all. Specifically these. And he's putting favoritism and he's putting partiality on the same level. And you and I will be judged by the royal law that gives freedom. What is the royal law? The royal law is the law that rules all others. It's going to be rule. It, it, it rules all other laws. So we can come into church and we can say, look, I've not done this and I've not done this and I've not done this. And I've done this right and I've done this right and I've done this right. Remember the rich young ruler? The rich young ruler said, what do, I, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? God said, why don't you follow the law? He's like, oh, I've done all those things. I've done all those things. I'm good, right? No, you and I are going to be judged by the royal law that gives freedom. The royal law, the law that rules all others is that we love God and love others just as he has loved us. And we'll be judged by that. Favoritism and partiality and judging people based on external criteria is the absolute opposite of the gospel. It's the anti-gospel. God's gospel 
is the gospel of yes. Yes. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, no matter how many promises God has made, they are all yes and amen. They are yes in Christ. His promises are yes and amen. God says, I want you in my company. I will do whatever it takes to have you with me. I'm going I'm to cross every barrier and do everything that I possibly can and chase you down until I can show you how much I love you. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I want you with me. I'm going to make a covenant and I'm going to bless this nation so that I can bless all these others to show the entire world how much I want you with me to remedy the problem of sin and separation. Yes, I want you in my company. Favoritism and partiality is the gospel of no. No, you don't have the right clothes. No, you don't have the right color skin. No, you think differently about me, uh, from me about this issue. No, I'm just going to pretend I don't see you. I'm going to pretend you're invisible. I'm not going to see you. Uh, James gives a description of, of favoritism here that is very direct. Um, obviously, we look at that and we go, oh, that's bad. I don't do that. I'm not going to ever do that. But don't we... But don't we don't we do that indirectly also oftentimes? Don't we do it? You know, the way we do it indirectly is by uh, allowing people to become invisible among us. Allowing people to be invisible. Who, who are the uh, invisible ones around us? Who are the invisible ones? Widows, women, children. Races, the poor, those struggling with faith, non-educated, introverts, those with dysfunctional families, the depressed, those with PTSD. The list could go on and on. We come in here in church, and oftentimes we can allow people to become invisible in, an, in a display of indirect favoritism. In church, that's the anti-gospel. It's the opposite. We are not a melting pot here at church. We are a mosaic. We don't lose our identities, but rather uh, they're expressed in each and every one of us, and we become a mosaic of Christ. What happens when we get this right? What happens when we get unity right? What, is, what does that look like? In 1870, uh, there was a man named William Seymour who was born from ex-slaves in Louisiana. And uh, over time, William Seymour became uh, a Christian. And uh, he was searching for more. He felt called into the ministry. And he knew that there was more than just believing. And so he heard that God was doing mighty things, that he was doing mighty things, uh, and people were becoming baptized in the Holy Spirit. And miracles and signs and wonders were following. It was an amazing thing. And so he heard about this, uh, this ministry from one man. His name was Charles Parham. Now, Charles Parham was a white man. At this time, he was teaching at a school, and so he, and he was teaching about Jesus, and he was teaching about baptism in the Holy Spirit, and he allowed William Seymour to sit outside the room, outside the door, with the door cracked and open so that he could listen. 
And William Seymour listened. And he heard and he learned, even in those circumstances. And over time, made his way all the way over to the West Coast uh, to a place called Azusa Street. And there at Azusa Street, um, God, uh, God's spirit fell. Um, it's actually where the Assemblies of God, which is where Kingwood Church, the fellowship that we're part of, uh, where we come from, is the Azusa Street Revival, led by William Seymour. William Seymour was there, and through prayer times, and through uh, church services, and through more and more people coming, uh, the Holy Spirit fell, and we saw one of the we saw one of the greatest revivals uh, in the last century. Uh, there were a lot of things that were written about William Seymour. The church in Azusa was unimpressive with its dirt floors, boxes fitted with wood planks for seating, and sawdust on the floor. The pulpit was made of two large wooden shoe crates covered with cotton cloth. Seymour spent far more time on his knees praying than he did standing in front of the congregation teaching or preaching. But God met them. The spirit fell, and they too experienced a Pentecost. Like the original Pentecost when the Spirit fell in the upper room with 120 while they were waiting just after Jesus had gone back to be with the Father. Just like the original Pentecost, ethnic and racial lines got blurred and within a few days the congregation had shifted from being solely black to representing something of the mix of the city. Social and economic status too had to go. At Azusa Street there was not ostentatious hierarchy and the breadth of the power contradicted a set of social conventions. Seymour said, God makes no difference in nationality. Ethiopians, Chinese, Indians, Mexicans, and other nationalities worship together. And so what happened at Azusa Street became a national story. An ex-Methodist uh, Methodist preacher from North Carolina heard what God was doing and made his way all the way over there to see what was going on. Once he got there and realized the mix of races that was going on, he almost turned around and left and he couldn't handle it. But something kept him there. And the longer he stayed there and the longer he prayed, he eventually lost his pride. One journalist said the color line was washed away at Azusa. And from the Azusa Street Revival, the Assemblies of God, our fellowship was birthed in the uh, Pentecostal movement all over uh, the world came from William Seymour. I think the lesson, one of the many lessons that we get from that is the more unity, the more spirit. The more spirit, the more unity. If you, and I want to, I want to see God move. I do. I want to see, I, want to, I just want to see people come to faith. I want to see lost people come to know Jesus. I want to see my neighbors come to know Jesus. I do. I want to see this county changed. I want to see our churches in Shelby County grow because of the move of the Spirit all over. I want to see God do something. And one thing that I've realized is this, is that in our church, there can be no partiality. There can be no favoritism. There can only be unity. And if we're ever going to see the Spirit move, we have and we do and we will. We've had incredible moments uh, 
here at this church, even recently. And we'll continue to have them. We want more unity and we want more spirit. As we want more of the spirit, then we'll get more unity. Do you want to see the spirit move in our church? I do. I do. I do. How do we respond? How do we respond? Verses 12 and 13 in James says how we're going to respond. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. One day you and I are going to stand before God. We're all going to be judged. I don't mean judged by, you know, I don't mean some people go to heaven and some people go to hell. I mean, those of us that are believers also will be to be judged and will stand before God and he'll stand there and he'll judge what we've done. What, what have we done with what we've been given? What, what will we do with what we've been given? And we'll stand there and we'll be judged. And here he gives us a little bit of a glimpse. I wonder if we stand before God and the movie starts to play back of our, life and it sh- of our lives and it starts to show all the times that we've, ju- that we've judged someone, that we've been partial towards someone, that we've, been, that we've shown favorites or we've played favorites because God hates favoritism. He hates favoritism. And all those moments start to be shown. And then all of a sudden, God shows all the places where we've shown mercy. Verse 13, mercy triumphs over what? Judgment. And all those times that we've judged are all of a sudden covered where, with all those moments. Maybe they were seen, most likely they were unseen. Moments where we held our tongue. Moments where we said, you know what? I'm covered just like he's covered, just like she's covered, just like he's received grace. I've received grace. And we show mercy over and over and over again. And all those times that we've shown mercy, it trumps all those other times where we've judged. How do we respond to God's call to not show favoritism. It's mercy. It's mercy. If the, if the worship team would come, and you guys, if you would, if you would stand up, everyone in here stand up. I had a friend right out of high school that went to my same church uh, that I grew up in. His name was Gary. And uh, Gary went to church with us for a few years. He had come from another church and he uh, was at mine at that moment. And Gary had special, Gary, uh, had special needs. I, don't, I couldn't tell you uh, what they were at the time. I hadn't had as much experience. Uh, Gary was a little bit older than me, but he loved people and he would always give, he would always give us gifts. I used to get a manila envelope every few weeks from Gary and it was filled with cassette tapes where he had recorded uh, music off the Christian radio station and then it would be his voice in between being the DJ telling me what next song what was coming up next and um, and so he lo- he and he uh, he just loved us at the church we loved Gary he was an incredible guy and um, uh, one day it was I think it was on a Sunday night we had a special service and Gary was going to sing a special song Gary's going to sing. And so he gets up and his mom was going to play the piano. And he gets up, his mom starts playing the piano. And uh, it's really simple. Just to, and Gary starts to sing. And I can honestly say this, out of all the songs and all the offertory songs that I remember, um, I, I, honestly, I don't remember many. 
uh, in the church that I grew up in. Not that, not that stick out in my brain, that I could tell you what they said or the song. Not many at all. Maybe two or three. There's really one I remember. And it's Gary's. Gary had one line in his song. It was the whole song, and it was pretty much one tone, too. It was, pretty, it was one tone. It wasn't real good. And Gary stood up there, and he said, while his mom was playing the piano, he said, We are one body, one body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. We are one body, one body in Christ, and we do not stand alone. And for probably three minutes, he repeated that line over and over and over again. And I sat in the pew and I wondered why I was about to cry. Because I was 19 years old and 19-year-old cool kids don't cry. And, uh, and I realized Gary got it. He got it. He understood he knew what church was about, that we are one body, one body in Christ, and no, we do not stand alone. Gary got it. Not long after, Gary left and went to another church, and I asked his mom, I said, where's Gary? She said, oh, honey, he's not mad. He just, he, he, he just can't stay in one place for very long. He's kind of got to go around, so he likes to go to other churches too. So he was... He was gone for about six or eight months, and then we saw Gary again going to other churches telling them we are one body. Favoritism is the anti-gospel. Unity and covenant love is God's gospel. If you would, close your eyes in here. I don't want anybody looking around. I'm not going to call anybody up here other than the prayer team. If the prayer team would come up here and stand up in the front, I'm actually not going to call anybody up here other than the prayer team. If you're in here and you could honestly say, Joel, I have, uh, I have bitterness in my heart based on how I've been treated and I know it was something external. It was based on something external. It, was, it, was, it wasn't anything that was in my heart. It was an external thing. It wasn't biblical criteria. And I'll be honest with you, I still carry bitterness in my heart because of that. I want everybody in here to know I'm not going to call anyone up here to the front. But I do think it is important that we recognize when the Holy Spirit is moving in our heart and He's, and he's speaking. And I know He's speaking to some of you in here. And if you're in here and you would say, Joel, I have, there, is, there is some anger, or there's some bitterness. I still remember and, I've, and I've, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I've even forgiven that person because of it. If that's you and you want to just recognize that that's what's going on in your heart to me and to the Holy Spirit, would you just lift your hand really, really high and then you can put it back down? Yeah. Yeah. Really, really high and then put it back down. Yeah. Prayer team. Actually, hold on just a minute. I got one more. If you're in here and you are holding, it's kind of the same thing. You're holding some anger in your heart or some resentment or some bitterness towards someone based on something external. And God has revealed it to you this morning. If you are in here, I'm not going to call you to the front. I just want you to acknowledge to me and to the Holy Spirit. If that's you, would you raise your hand really, really high? God has convicted me this morning. I, I have some based on something external. Really high. Yeah. Yes. Prayer team, if you would, would you face 
those that are in here, stretch your hands out. And as I pray, we are going to symbolically lay hands on every person in our church. And we're going to pray against bitterness. And we're also going to pray for unity. Jesus, we're grateful this morning that we could be here to, to uh, honor you, to pray to you, to serve you, to worship you, and to also be with our other brothers and sisters who are in here as well. There is so much that we've been forgiven. There's so much that you've given to us and have paved a way for us to have eternal life. God, I don't want anything to stand in the way of that, including bitterness or favoritism or partiality towards another brother or sister in this room or even outside this room. So I pray this morning, God, that you would remove it in my heart and in the hearts of those that are here that have raised their hand. And maybe if they haven't raised their hand, but they knew that they should have, that you would remove that and you would begin to break down the barriers and break down the walls in their heart that is keeping them from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you, the, the altars are open, if you would like special prayer this morning, you're more than welcome to come. Uh, otherwise, you're dismissed. Thank you this morning.